Sometimes life just doesn't make sense. I mean, you think about the, uh, the Grinch. Right? I mean, Brent brought him up. Let me talk about it just for a second. Think about the Grinch. I, I know that uh, Dr. Zeus and, and the Grinch and Whoville and all that is made up and it's not real life, but, but just think about how the Grinch must have felt growing up, all green and hairy. That's just, that's not fair. I mean, some would suggest, in fact, the, the underlying theme within the framework of the movie of the Grinch, not just the book, uh, but, but the movie on the Grinch, the, the underlying theme there is that, that the Grinch uh, had two strikes against him before he even began, uh, all hairy and green in a land of people that weren't hairy and green. And he was uh, kind of... Uh, made fun of as a little child. He, he didn't have a lot of advantages. And, and eventually, because he lived his life in such a lack of joy and really without much hope of changing his circumstance, he ended up on the top of a mountain of trash and bitter and mean and mad. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a made-up story, but what makes the made-up story so meaningful to us is that there are kernels of truth in the made-up story. Because when we begin to look at our own life, and the circumstances that happen to us and the things that swirl around us, many times we're caught in this idea that this isn't fair, or this isn't right, or why doesn't it change for me? You think of the people in Gatlinburg and uh, that section of East Tennessee whose lives have been turned topsy-turvy as the fire ravaged through their homes and destroyed their homes and their property and even took lives of friends and family that they loved. And standing on the charred remains of, of a world that's been burnt down, how do you have joy? I, I know Christmas is kind of a season of joy, and, 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 and here's the thing. I think that we have settled for Christmas being a season of joy. Uh, like we have joy for this season, and then it's gone again. It, like, like we have, have uh, this, these moments of, uh, of, of, of a happy, happy, happy kind of life, even, even though our circumstances don't make sense, and even though our, our, our world is kind of on its head, we, we kind of take a time out from all of our pain or our sorrow or our surf, suffering. We take a time out at Christmas and say, now I'm going to be happy for these few moments. And we grab hold of a feeling and a song or a sentiment that's been written down in a card to us or a lifetime movie that makes us cry. We take hold of any kind of moment of, of happy and we call it the season of joy. But Christmas is the season of joy in the sense, not that it's a temporary thing. Christmas is the moment in time where God unleashed joy that should saturate our soul and that should change us. 
a joy that, that seeps down into our very being so that no matter the circumstance, now listen, no matter the circumstance, we have joy. Here's what I think happens for us is that we so often define, um, define joy in terms of circumstances. And if God is good, then he's going to change my circumstances so that then I can have joy. But that's not the way it works. Today, we're going to look at the story of Mary. Last week, we looked at, at Elizabeth and Zechariah, and we, we celebrated and, and, uh, what God did through them. But, but as we watched Zechariah and Elizabeth, we saw that God unleashes um, uh, hope in our lives when we join his plan. Today, as we look at Mary and, 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 and the circumstances swirling around her life, it's, it, it's, it, it's my hope that we begin to understand that, that God's plan of loving rescue for us, unveiled at Christmas, produces an overwhelming joy in our lives regardless of circumstances, especially when the circumstances stink. I believe that so many of us are bitter, mean people because we're waiting for our circumstances to change. And we believe that it's okay for us to be bitter and mean as long as our circumstances are bad. Now, I understand. I, I get it. Somebody's done you wrong. People have been mean to you. People have called you names. People have, have and, and literally done bad things to you. And, and I get it. They've wounded you deeply. I understand. I, I get that. You're, you're working at an unfulfilling job and you see no end of that unfulfillment. I, I wonder how my granddaddy did it. You know, I, I can't believe that my granddaddy worked at the Aluminum Company of America for 48 years of his life. Only took a break to go to World War II. And he worked at the American Aluminum Company, Aluminum Company of America, Alcoa. Worked at Alcoa for 48 years. I, it wasn't a fun job. It wasn't a satisfying job, but it was a job. And he worked it. And he worked it till retirement. I wonder how he did that. Good night. And he didn't act all mean and bad and bitter because, I mean, he was just happy he had a job. Uh, anyway, that's a different song. But what happens to us is, is we, we define our lives based upon our circumstances. Good circumstances, I'm going to be joyful. Bad circumstances, no joy. And we excuse our bad behavior because we experience bad circumstances. Again, I understand that. I do. I understand the concept. I'm just saying that what the Scripture teaches us today and throughout Scripture is that as followers of Jesus, we are the recipients of a joy that satisfies us even when our circumstances are bad. Take a look at the worst circumstances you're facing right now. Can I... Can I humbly suggest that maybe God will never change those bad circumstances? And still you can have joy? Should have joy? 
I, I know that's not easy, and I definitely know that a lot of people that you listen to maybe on the radio or watch on television that preach, they might not say stuff like that, but can I just tell you this is what the Bible tells us? And can I also say that the maturity of our faith shows us how we can be joyful in the midst of bad, sour circumstances? I'll tell you this. You can tell how well I'm walking with Jesus by how joyful I am in the midst of unhappy circumstances. You watch me and you can see how much I'm walking with Jesus based upon how joyful I am, even when circumstances. Now, I don't do this perfectly, so when you're watching me, understand, I'm not claiming perfection on this. I'm on this journey just like you are. But I'm telling you, this is a measure. And if you're walking around mean as a snake and mad at everybody, I'm telling you, you're not walking with Jesus. I don't care what excuse you give it. You hear me? So, and by the way, that's just a miserable way to live anyway, right? Who wants to live like that? Well, you don't have to. So let's look at the story of Mary. And we're going we're gonna to highlight some things in Mary's journey that we'll look at today and, and see how we can get on this track toward joy. Again, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't done it perfectly. Mondays are a test for me. So I've got to spend a lot of time on Monday with Jesus before I see anybody else. That's the truth. You can ask anybody who has to see me on a Monday. Kurt Breland. Uh, thank you. All right. So let's look at, at, at Mary. All right. Beginning verse 26. The sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, here it is, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Let's stop right there. How do we get on this track of rejoicing? How can we taste joy even when our circumstances are not the best? Well, it's all through God's plan that he unveils at Christmas. And God's plan uh, supplies breathtaking grace for us. When we look at verse 28, here's what the angel said. Rejoice. Why? You are highly favored. The term for favored there is the term for grace. If you look down in verse 30, it says, it, again, uh, Gabriel says, "You don't be afraid, Mary. You are favored by the Lord. The term favored there means grace. It is a picture of God stooping down in an act of love and kindness, taking Mary by the hand and saying, here I am. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to strengthen you. I'm going to bless you. Here I am. I have determined that I will live in relationship with you. This is the message, the gospel, the good news that God in his great grace looked upon you and me as sinners and determined that he would send 
Jesus to rescue us from our sin. That's grace. Grace means that I cannot reach God. I can't be good enough for God. I can't make up for the sin in my life. And yet God looks upon me and says, yes, I will be in friendship with you. Yes, I will empower you. Yes, I will strengthen you. Yes, I will be with you. Yes, I will bless you. Friends, you and I face difficult days, no doubt. People have done us wrong, no doubt. People say ugly things about us, no doubt. The circumstances at our work or in our relationships over which we have no control are sending us spiraling down into chaos, no doubt. But in the midst of all that, God's grace lifts us up and God says, here I am for you. That's God's grace. Rejoice, highly favored one. Can I just suggest perhaps instead of commiserating with ourselves about how poor, pitiful, and bad it is for us, maybe the exercise that we need to take is to open our eyes and look to God and say, God, I deserved hell, but you have given me heaven and yourself instead. I'm going to be thankful. I'm going to have joy. Maybe, just maybe, our perspective needs to change where we're looking not at what we can do or what has been done to us, but maybe, just maybe, if we would set our gaze upon a glorious God who by grace has rescued us from hell itself, then maybe, just maybe, the spark of joy would begin to light in our soul, even though our circumstances are bad. God's grace is breathtaking in its magnificence. If you look again at, at what Mary wrote, she said, she said uh, 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 I, I, I'm troubled. In verse 30, the angel said, don't be afraid for you have found favor with God. You'll conceive. You'll bring forth a son. You're going to call his name Jesus. He'll be great. He'll be called son of the highest, and the Lord will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. Verse 34, Mary said, how can it be? How can this happen? Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary... God has favored you, and he will grace you. He will bless you. He will walk with you. But the picture of grace in Mary's life also carried with it great heartache and pain. You can imagine the distress that she was going to feel, and she knew it. Now, you think about it. She knew what was getting ready to happen. She knew her circumstance was different than most young women who have a baby. But nobody else was going to believe that her circumstance was different than any other young woman who has a baby. You get that? Think about what her parents were going to say. Think about what they said. Mary, come in talk to us. Mary, what? Mary, talk to us. Mary, what happened? Was it that Roman guard that came in? 
to Nazareth a couple of weeks ago. Is this what he has done? Mary, he did this to you? No, Mama, that's not what happened. Mary, tell me what has happened. Mama, I told you. Mary, I know you told us some story about an angel, but come on. Come on. Mary, is this Joseph? Is this what Joseph did? You and Joseph? Just tell us the truth. Mary, just tell, me, tell, tell your father and me the truth, and we will we'll be there with you. We'll help you through it. I mean, we're disappointed. We're distressed. But Mary, Mary, just tell us the truth. Mary, Mom, Mama, Daddy, I told you the truth. Oh, my goodness, Mary, why do you lie? Where did our daughter go? What happened to that young lady that loved Jesus or loved God? Mary, Mary, we thought that you were going to keep your vow. You've broken it. Mary, Mary, we just don't know you anymore. Think about what her friends were going to say. I don't know if teenage girls in Nazareth in the first century A.D. or the first century B.C., I don't know if they were the, I don't know if they were the same as they are in the 21st century, but if they're anything at all alike, can you imagine what those girls said about Mary? Oh, Susie, did you hear about Mary? Did you hear what she said? Did you? Oh, you know, I always thought Mary was like that. Did you hear the story she was telling? Oh, my goodness. She's such a liar. Joseph deserves so much better. I wonder if Joseph is single now. You can tell I live in a house of women, huh? <laughs> my whole perspective has changed. It's weird. Imagine what the people in Nazareth said. Nazareth wasn't a big community. It was a small community. Imagine how they talked about Mary. She'd walk down the street, go to the well, and they'd talk to her. Oh, my goodness, there she is. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. She better not come to church this weekend. Can you believe that woman? Can you believe what she's been saying? Telling all those lies. Joseph, I, I bet Joseph is so ashamed. Oh, my goodness. Imagine what Joseph must have felt. We'll talk about that next week. All that to say is when the angel says, rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. You are blessed of God. I, I don't know if immediately I would have thought this is a blessing. Mary went through hard times. And they were about to get harder. And we romanticize Mary and uh, think all these wonderful thoughts and, and sing good songs and, and all that kind of stuff. But guys, you got to understand, Mary was in the grip, the vice grip of circumstances that could have cost her her life. Certainly cost her her reputation. Certainly cost her her friends. She thought that it was going to cost her marriage. She, she understood that when the angel unveiled what was getting ready to happen and she was going to lose everything 
And still she could say in verse 46, my soul magnifies the Lord. Imagine that. Why? How could she say that? Because she was counting on the promises of God. God's plan delivers on promises. And and this promise was the promise that God had made to the people of God in Israel for, for centuries. It's that God would send a deliverer. And that's what verses 30 through 33 is all about. The angel Gabriel saying, yes, Mary, it's going to be tough on you. Mary, it's going to be hard on you. But Mary, rejoice. The Savior is coming. You're going to give birth to the Son of God. You're going to give birth to the Son of the Most High. You're going to give birth to Jesus, our Deliverer. This is the one you've been waiting for, and he's coming. Rejoice. God's promises are being fulfilled. So often we look at God's promises on the receiving end. Oh, I'm the recipient of God's promise of strength. Or I'm the recipient of God's promise of peace. Or I'm the recipient of God's promise of provision. And all of those things are wonderful things when we experience those things. But sometimes you're just the instrument for that provision, that promise to be realized in somebody else's life. And the journey you have to take in order to get God's promise to that person can be a painful struggle for us. And yet Mary, going through the heartache and the pain that she knew she was going to go through, declared, my soul magnifies the Lord. Because she knew that God's promise was coming to pass. Today, God makes promises. And he will bring them to pass And sometimes that means we have to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But even while we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear evil. Why? Because God is with us. And that's the third part. See, God's plan invades our lives with his presence. It's this wondrous plan that he he mapped for Mary. It was going to be hard. It was going to be challenging. It was going to be difficult. But here's what Gabriel said. Go back to verse 26, verse 28. Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Oh, I, I don't think we can make too much of a statement about that. That's, that's everything we need. The Lord is is with you. We've already begun to sing songs about Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. We'll sing more before this season is out. We sing about Jesus being God with us and we rejoice that God is now with us and Christmas is all about God coming, being born in a manger in a stable so that he might live in intimacy with us. Yes, the Lord is with us who are followers of Jesus. So why in the world do we not have joy? I don't want to belabor this too much. But why don't we have joy if the God of the universe is with us? 
I mean, with us. He's, he's not some distant idea, philosophy out there. We believe he is personal and he has poured his spirit within us so that we live in immediate intimacy with him. Why should we not have joy regardless of circumstances we face? We're sitting in the lap of the living, loving God. How can we not have joy? Rejoice, the Lord is with you. Maybe, maybe you've forgotten that. You get here and you do church and you walk through the halls and you play your little church games. Listen, stop playing church games. Stop acting like you're mature in your faith. If you're not living in the lap of God every day. I, listen, you can tell the kind of communion I have with God by the joy I have when things are bad. Why? Because sitting in the lap of God is everything. That's life. That's hope. That's peace. That's joy. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. Please understand. I'm not saying it's easy. It's hard for me. Things get stinky and bad and difficult, and, 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 and I'm, I'm walking uh, through the, the, the difficulties of, of circumstances. Some I can fix, some I can't fix. I've taken a wrong turn in my own choices, and it's led me into the chasm of chaos. And, 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 and others have been driving a car that I've been in, and, 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 and they've taken a wrong turn into the uh, cavern of, of calamity, and here I am stuck, and, and everything around me is bad, and, and I don't, I, I look. And, and I don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. And if it is a light at the end of the tunnel, it's a train about to run me over. This is my life. And I look and all my circumstances stink. So I get it when, I, when, when you say, well, Eric, you don't understand. When everything's bad, how can I have joy? I understand the question. I'm just here to tell you the truth. Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you that my joy might remain in you. Your joy might be full. Psalm chapter 16 verse 11 says, the psalmist says, lead me in the right path for in your presence, O God, are, are, is the fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. One of the reasons we lack joy when everything's going haywire around us is because we're not getting in the presence of God. We're not communing with him. We're not living in his lap. We're playing, settling with these church games, acting like we're all spiritual and stuff. Maturity is not your attendance at church. Maturity is how you handle the chaos and the calamity that you face with joy as a follower of Jesus. And here is a little 16-year-old girl having her world destroyed, literally destroyed. And she stands up and she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Ah, God, give me that kind of faith. Oh, God, give me that kind of fellowship with you. Oh, God, let me sink deep into your embrace every day. Let me run. If, if times are hard and my emotions 
are getting haywire and I feel bitterness and toxicity rise up in my spirit. Don't let me just sit and take it or excuse my behavior because of how bad things are. Oh God, let me run into your presence until I find your joy nourishing my soul and I can stand up again and say, yes, times are hard. Yes, the future is not all that bright, but my soul magnifies the Lord. Oh my goodness, why is it that a 16-year-old girl shows more faith than someone who's been a follower of Jesus for three or four decades? What's wrong with us? I'm serious. What is wrong? With us? Is it because we somehow believe that God owes us a happy life? That, that somehow we believe that, that, that God is supposed to take away all our bad circumstances? Do you know there's nowhere in Scripture? Do you, you realize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego actually had to go into the burning, fiery furnace? I can't imagine that was a good time. Daniel had to go and sit in the lion's den. Can't imagine that was a good time. Jesus had to actually be killed on a cross. Can't imagine that was a good time. And yet, There is joy for us, even in the midst of the most devastating circumstances. And it's found in the grip of God, in His embrace. God's plan supplies breathtaking grace that delivers on a promise that God makes and invades our lives with His presence and overwhelms our pain with his love. Rejoice, highly highly favored one. Mary goes on and says, says, my soul magnifies the Lord. She says, for for he has regarded the lowly estate of his maidservant. You look down in in, in verse uh, 46. Verse 46, uh, 47, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He's regarded the lowly state of a maidservant, and, and, and generations henceforth will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, verse 50. And his mercy, that's his love, his steadfast love. His, his love is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. This is what his love does. He strengthens us. He scatters the proud, but he, uh, but, but he, uh, uh, he, he scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. He, he puts down mighty from their thrones, but he exalts those who are lowly. He satisfies the hungry with good things. God's, God's love for us through Jesus to us is the, is the surround sound that drowns out 
the pain of our circumstance and produces joy in us. Make no mistake, and I want you all to hear this, God's joy always runs along the track of his love. So God's love is a track that runs from eternity to eternity, and and by God's grace, he has put us on that track of his love. Make no mistake, one of the cars that are riding that track is joy. And because of his love for us, he wants to overwhelm our pain and give us joy. Again, this doesn't always mean changing the circumstances. Do you, you get that now? It's, it's not that God's promising to, to take away the painful circumstances. He's promising to overwhelm the pain with joy while you walk through the circumstances. It's in the presence of God that we find fullness of joy, not in the absence of bad circumstances. Did you get that? It's not the absence of bad circumstances that produces the fullness of joy. It's the presence of God that produces the fullness of joy. And while we're living in the presence of God and sitting in the lap of his love, he chases away the fear and he overwhelms our pain with his joy. So how, how do we today How can we be like Mary right now? How can we be like Mary and get on the track of joy? How can we do that? The first thing I'd say is you look at verse 37. The angel said, with man things are impossible, but with God there's nothing impossible. You want to experience joy, you think that you're living in a hopeless situation. Make no mistake, you're not. There is nothing impossible with God. You can have joy in your life. It can happen for you as a follower of Jesus Christ. So embrace this God who makes the impossible possible. The second thing is verse 38. I think it's the key verse in the whole passage. Mary says, let it be to me according to your word. Behold, your maidservant, maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. You want to get on the track of joy, believe that joy is possible as a follower of Jesus. And secondly, commit to the path God shows. Not not to the one that you want to walk. Commit yourself to the path that God says, let it be to me according to your word. Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. It's the same idea that Jesus, Mary's son, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he said, God, I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to have to drink this cup. Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want. That's what I'm going to do. Friends, if we're going to experience joy in the midst of painful circumstances, in the midst of people doing bad things to us, if we're going to have joy in the midst of a life that is swirling in chaos, it's because we say to God, let it be to me according to your word. Oh God, I am yours. 
I belong to you. Let it be to me according to your word. God, I don't want to have to go through bad circumstances. God, I don't want this, this bad journey to continue. But as long as it continues, I belong to you. Let it be to me according to your word. Joy is possible in the hands of God for you. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the third thing, verse 50. That the Lord shows mercy to those who fear him generation to generation. Look, there is no joy apart from living in obedience and submission to holy God. And some of you are trying that. And I know you are. You're trying to rationalize your emotions, your reactions, your responses, your actions, your disobedience to God. You're trying to rationalize and say, well, I'm just trying to taste a little joy. There is no joy apart from the fear of the Lord. That's living in submission to what he has said. It is living in obedience to his will. It is living in concert with his purpose. You want joy? Then get on God's side, stay on God's side, and do what God says. That's Mary's commitment. She said, I know that your love is moving along the track of of my faithfulness, my obedience. Hey, guys, submit to God to taste joy. In spite of your circumstances, now's the time. Mary, Mary was blessed of the Lord, not because she went through an easy life. She was blessed of the Lord because she endured the hardship to fulfill the purposes and the pleasures of God. And the result was joy for her. Today, I invite you to experience the joy, the overwhelming joy that God's purpose and plan provides. But you've got to embrace it like Mary. Would you bow your heads, please? As we've come to this time, I encourage you to allow God to pierce to the depths of your heart, to show you those places where you are not living in obedience to him, that those places in your heart of hearts where you have determined that you're going to walk in your own path and not the path that God has led you. Maybe you're here today and there is deep sorrow in your soul or struggle or suffering or pain or heartache. And guys, listen, I understand that and I, and, and, and I, 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 I sympathize with you. And I don't want to short shortchange it. I'm not saying that, that we all don't, Uh, struggle with this. I'm just saying that today the first step for you finding joy is not for your bad circumstances or situation to disappear. But the pathway to joy is by believing that with God, joy is possible. By committing yourself to the Lord and, and whatever remedy he has for you In these circumstances that you're facing, you say, let it be to me according to your word. And and then 
submit yourself to God's purpose and his pleasure. You can have joy today. You can. That's what Christmas is promised to give. That's what Mary knew in her heart. So, Father, right now, help for us to consider the joy that you offer. And, God, do your work in our hearts right now as we meditate on the commitments that Mary has made and the glorious grace that you provided for her. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Bethlehem be born in thee. 
can see I'm just a girl Nothing more But I am willing I am yours Make my heart your Bethlehem be born.